Hey everyone, it is so good to see you again. We hope that you had an awesome Easter last weekend celebrating the risen Jesus. Hey, this Sunday is important as well. Might not have as much eternal significance, but it's a good one. So, in honor of the premiere of The Last Dance, starting on ESPN at 6 o'clock tonight, I need everybody on your feet and down in a defensive stance. Defensive stance, yes, feel the burn. All right, now I need you to stick your tongue out. Fade away, MJ, perfect. Hey, now that you guys are on your feet, I need you guys to stay there because uh, we're gonna transition into a time of worship. So stay on your feet, prepare your hearts, and let's get ready to worship the Lord together. Thank you, Josh, that was quite an introduction. I, I, hate to, I hate to give credence to that, but a good singing posture is not all that different from a good uh, defensive posture. So on the balls of your feet, soft knees, we're going to sing a kind of a battle cry sort of a song. Heather's going to lead us. Let's raise a hallelujah. Here we go. Uncomfortable. Now here we go, ready? One, two, 
Amen. Well, we miss you uh, here in this room. Week in and week out, it's weird to sing to an empty room. We miss you where you are. There you are. I found you. Um, I just want to remind you that in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, asked Jesus. She says, my people say that we should worship on the mountain, and your people say we got to worship at the temple. What's the deal? And Jesus says, woman, I love that part. I tell you, woman, women, I tell you, there's a day coming where neither the temple nor the mountain, the people who worship the Lord will worship in spirit and in truth. This place, it's empty without you guys, but it's the building. It's just a building. The church is not the building. The church is you. The church is here. The church is here. The church is here. The church is wherever the spirit of the Lord moves and the spirit of the Lord moves over the earth as it wills. Um, this song is one of my favorites. It's probably my favorite new worship song, and it speaks to that. It says that we can worship him on the mountain. We worship him in the valley. It's the same. He's not that difficult to find. He is wherever you need him to be. He is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you no matter where you are. This song is called Highlands, the Song of Ascent. It goes like this. Through all 
and Lindsay, we have some announcements for you uh, today. And you know what? We decided to change it up, and we're going to do our announcements. We're going to communicate them through interpretive dance. So, Lindsay, do you want to start first? <laughs> she had no idea I was going to say that. That's amazing that you just started dancing. Uh, we're not going to do anything like that. You are good. Uh, so we have a few announcements for you. Uh, the first one is we just wanted to remind you of a couple ways to give. Uh, there's three ways. You can give uh, online on the church website, through the ABF app, or you can mail it in through snail mail. We have been having so much fun the past few weeks on Zoom with our high schoolers every Wednesday night. Um, this week we even did a survivor-style game to get them all off the Zoom call, which was super fun, especially for us leaders to watch. Um, well, we think it's just super important to be connecting with each other, especially in this time. So whoever you are, we have a Zoom meeting for you. Men, women, life groups, junior high, high school are all meeting throughout the week on Zoom. Uh, if you want more information about that, it's on the slide. 
Uh, also during this time, we're just looking for ways to kind of roll up our sleeves and be a blessing to our community. So if you're sitting at home, you've got some extra time and you want to bless some other people, uh, there is a canned food drop-off every single day at Holy Trinity Church from 1 to 2 p.m. So go ahead and gather up those goods and head on over. And finally, even our care journal has gone virtual. We love praying for you guys. And if there's any way that the ABF staff can be praying for you guys during this time, please send us your text messages by either emailing prayer at agorabible.org or text ABF prayer to 97000 to get the conversation started. Hey, kids, I miss you so much, and I hope you are hanging in there. Man, it has been a month since I've seen you. Well, I just want to remind you, kids, that God is with you. God will never leave you, and he has a good plan for you, even during these times at home. Well, I hope you've been able to check out our Bible story videos and worship experiences. I've been sending out emails every week, and we've been putting them on our website. So I hope you've been able to enjoy those. You know, I love what we've been learning, how Jesus changes everything. Well, this week, I'm super excited for our Kids Blast Challenge. And it's going to be a fun one. All right, here we go. This week, it's got to do with fruit. We are going to be memorizing Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and you are going to be learning about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and a whole bunch of other ones. So what I'd love for you to do is look it up and put those words in your heart, and I know these, this verse will be life-changing for you. So send me a video of you uh, reciting this verse, and hey... If you're in Awana and you're in TNT, this is good news for you because this is the section you're actually on in your handbook. So make sure you memorize this verse. And for the rest of you in Awana, I hope you're keeping up in your handbook and uh, getting through that so that in the next couple of weeks you'll be able to be completed that. Well, kids, this is my favorite time in the service where we get to see a video of how you've been putting your love into action. So let's take a look and see how you did with the Hunt for Easter and the Sidewalk Chalk Challenge. Good to see you again, church family, or I guess not really see you. Fun to see videos and highlights of the kids, though, and the, their artistic creativity. And uh, if you didn't know this, we're officially at our four-week anniversary and uh, of quarantine, that is. 
And so uh, just wondering, just want to check in with you and just wondering how you're holding up. How are you doing during this time? Are you uh, thriving? Or are you just surviving? What does this time look like for you? I've seen a lot of different jokes going around and memes. I'm sure you've got a ton of your own favorites about uh, what it's like in being stuck with a certain group of people for an extended period of time. Uh, this is uh, one that I saw this week that caught my attention. Attention. Parenting is hard, especially trying to be patient with little versions of impatient you. And uh, that's so true. In fact, if we're real honest with ourselves, probably the hardest person to spend this much time with, you'll actually find here in the mirror. When you look at yourself, it's, uh, it's that, that's, that's the honestly the, the hard one to be with and to spend time. And to be honest, this quarantine isn't exactly the nice side of the mirror. It's the nose hair side of the mirror. It, it's the side that shows all of your ugly parts. It amplifies your impatience, your irritability, your harshness, your unforgiveness, your antagonistic tendencies. Anyone? Selfishness, your fear, your worry, gluttony. Man, close that fridge. Addictions, vices, all of that stuff seems to come out when we're in this quarantine. Well, my hope for you is that we'd actually not just see that as a miserable experience, that we'd actually, like I said a few weeks back, that we'd make the most out of this trial the positive side of that level and degree of reflection is the opportunity to make internal changes, to see this as a, as a fresh start, if you will, where you, where you invite, where you call out to the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. This isn't about embracing and laughing off your shortcomings, but a call out to God to help because his desire is to see us become more and more like him, to change us. Change is expected. Hopefully, you understand that. You came to Jesus just as you are, but you weren't intended to stay just as you are. Let me pray as we begin. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now, and we're just thankful for this chance to be together and in your word again. We're thankful that even when we can't gather, you're still present in spirit. You still work when your word is studied, when it's proclaimed. We ask that you do exactly that now, that you'd be moving, you'd be working, you'd meet us exactly where we're at. We invite you to grow us, to change us, that this wouldn't just be added to our mile-high pile of sermons that we've heard, but this might actually provoke change, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you think about it, we just finished the last, uh, before Easter, the last section of First Peter, and we wanted to continue on on the letters that he wrote. So we're starting this week in Second Peter in chapter 1. So if you wouldn't mind turning with me in your Bibles, you can begin turning there. And really, uh, it's just expanding. It's really written to the exact same audience of people. It's written to the, the same discouraged and dispersed believers the interesting thing about 2 Peter is it's the final letter or the final thing that we have that Peter wrote. He knows and he mentions it later in the book that he's actually headed towards execution. So this is more like a, a farewell speech, if you will. He's writing this from a jail cell. And if you think about it, it's kind of interesting that he's writing to us and teaching us what to do while you wait. Let me dive into verse 1. 
Simeon Peter, or Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He begins by referring to himself as a servant. There's really no question at this stage of the game about his devotion as he writes from death row. He also refers to himself as an apostle. This is one that was sent out personally by Jesus Christ himself. What I find interesting in those first couple of lines, he says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Let that sink in for a second. Who's saying this? This is Peter. This is one of Jesus' closest friends. This is one of the apostles. He's saying that you have the same level or the same standing before God as he does. How awesome is that for the believer that's reading this to understand that even you're in the same ranks as the apostles or the disciples. The only way that that's possible, we see it there, by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ's righteousness that we're able to be on the same standing with Peter who who died for his faith. It's only through his righteousness that we're rescued and saved. I love that that's the means in which we're acceptable before God. But you also notice the title that Peter gives Jesus. He says, our God and our Savior. This doesn't leave room for a good man or just a moral teacher. This is no question about his deity, even in his reference to him as God and Savior. He begins then, and he wishes something for his audience. This is seen in so many New Testament letters, but a little caveat in this one. He wishes for them or prays for them to experience grace and peace, but this time he's saying that he hopes that it's multiplied, multiplied for them. What does that mean? That our grace and peace is supposed to be expanding. If something is multiplied, it's it's growing, it's expanding. And so for us, for the reader, the believer receiving this message, The charge or the hope is for a a growing level of grace in our life. What does that look like? What does it it mean when there's growing grace in your life? I would suggest a couple different things. It's a growing awareness of it and thankfulness for it. So when you blow it, when you make a mistake, when you do something stupid, you're able to say, wow, Jesus, I am so sorry for that, but I am so thankful and I'm leaning into your grace. There's an awareness of it, and there's a gratitude for it. Also, if you're expanding in grace, it's not just how we perceive it from God. It's also the expansion of it. We're extending it to those around us. We're not hogging it all to ourselves. So it's not just being thankful. It's also growing in the extension of grace to those around us. When someone else does something stupid, we should be the first to say, no worries, I understand. I mess up all the time and all I keep getting is grace from my heavenly father. We should be quick to forgive, quick to extend grace to others. Couples within the church, I have to ask this question. During this house arrest, how are we doing with the extension of grace to each other? Before you slide too far down in your couch right now, just know Adrian and I struggle with this a lot. She extends a lot of grace to me. It's definitely necessary in our marriages for sure. 
and that's his charge. So you, you wonder, how is that possible? But he provides the answers. But first, he points to the second thing, that we're to grow or we're to multiply also in peace. What does that look like? What comes to mind when you think of peace? The first thing is you typically a peace symbol or, or maybe a, a hippie from the 70s. You might see this image here. That might be what comes to mind as somebody that kind of lived during the peace era. When you think about that, I have to wonder, that's what came to mind for me when I saw this. You have to wonder if maybe they were on to something, literally on something, but on to something with understanding peace. I believe a Christ follower should be the most relaxed, confident, secure person on the planet. Just peace should be over, overcoming them, should be exuding out of them. I'm not worried about much. I'm not worried about much. You do realize that anxiety and peace can't coexist. I've enjoyed, as I mentioned in one of our emails, I've enjoyed this new uh, series that's out. It's called The Chosen. Actually, it's been out for a while. And all these different shows or movies have a, a different picture of what Jesus is like. And I love the version in this particular series because it paints him as a little bit more laid back. A little bit more controlled, not the angry about to jump down your throat, but a little bit more, hey, I've got this. I wonder how that's, you, might, you may wonder how that's possible. We see it right there in the text. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. When we intimately know God, when we're uh, understanding that he's reigning over all of this, when we understand his character and how good he is, then all of a sudden we can take on that mentality ourselves. He's got this, man. He's got it covered. You can even add your own hippie tone to that yourself. But either way, the idea is there's no worries when you're in Christ. We're to be expanding. We're to be growing in both grace and peace. Continue in verse 3. We're also expected to lean into his provision. It says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We'll pause there. One of the dangers I believe in the Christian life is to slip into the thinking that I just need to work a little bit harder. I just need to pull myself up by the bootstraps. You begin, as you have that mentality, to realize that you're ill-equipped for that, that you can't do this on your own. But what, what if, what if we've already been given everything you need to succeed? That's what we see in the text. Has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What if that package has been sitting right in front of us and we had no idea it was even an option? You might remember this uh, video I'm about to show from 2003 from the Super Bowl. They highlighted this FedEx commercial that I think captures this idea pretty well. Let's take a look. Hi. Hi. I was marooned on an island for five years with this package. And I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. That's very admirable. 
Thank you. Hey, well, by the way, what's in the package? Huh, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. You see, uh, unopened packages do absolutely no good. So he was so determined to finish the job that he missed the resources he already had right in front of him. We're told here that the spiritual resources that we have are sufficient to meet all of life's demands. His, it's all within access by his divine power, we're told. We often operate as if God's able to, has enough power to save us, but not necessarily to rescue us from our circumstances. But we've been told here that we've escaped the old corruption and sinful desires, and now we're invited to be partakers of his divine nature. I stumbled on that section for a little bit, just thinking, what, is that, what does that actually mean to be partakers of his divine nature? The more you unpack that, the more you realize that he's just saying, you're invited to be like him. You're invited to, that, that's common vocabulary, vocabulary for the exact same thing. And being part of him and being more like him is all accomplished by receiving and absorbing his countless promises in Scripture. Describes them here as his precious and great promises. I'm wondering here, as we're in the middle of all this chaos in our world, what promise you need to cling to from Scripture. A familiar one that's been rattling in my brain for the last couple of weeks, and I know it's not new to most anyone, but it's still relevant. Romans 8, 28. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who love God, all things work together for good. And that's what I believe he's doing in our circumstances right now. He's working, he's orchestrating, and maybe his good might not align with your definition of good, but overall, ultimately, it is with your best interest in mind. And we can cling to that. We can trust him. As we talked about last week with the resurrection story, what more does Jesus have to do to earn our trust? Continue in verse 5. We're also expected to supplement our faith. Let me explain. It says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Starts off that section, he says, for this reason. Basically, he's saying, because you've escaped corruption in the world, the desire is for you to change. Our faith, our journey might start with faith, but it doesn't stop there. God intended for us to have a divine human partnership in this change process. We're invited to not just have faith, but to supplement it. When it says supplement your faith there, it's not saying as if something else is needed to be saved. But just because you're saved, that's not the stop point. He wants us to be partnering in transformation in my life. My wife has been diligent during this season with making sure that everyone in the family is taking a whole handful of uh, vitamins and supplements and drinking all kinds of really bad probiotic drinks. Uh, thanks, Emily, for that. Uh, all of that to supplement and to, to build up our immune system. 
It's not as if the immune system wasn't there, but it gets enhanced with the good stuff that we put inside of us. But I've realized something. Every single day, that whole pile of pills is sitting there on the counter. And I have a choice to make whether or not I participate. It's not going to just jump in me. That's the same thing with transformation. It's not like you wake up one day and you're like, wow, I became a lot more like Jesus today. I don't know why. I haven't done anything. No, that doesn't make any sense. He's telling us that there's intentionality demanded for change. Character develop isn't something we just stumble upon. So instead, he, he points to this path, and I love how one idea here snowballs into another. Look at the list. It starts with virtue or the pursuit of moral excellence. We're trying to live a life above reproach. I talk about that in church often, how much we want to be able to, at the end of the day, be able to say, you know what? I don't live with any regrets from the day. If there is something that I I did, I dealt with it. If there's something, a mistake that I made, I confessed it. This pursuit of living above reproach. He points that out as as a starting point in transformation. What supplements our faith begins with virtue. And then he points to the the partnership that that has with knowledge. You see, when you're pursuing that, when that's already on your mind, then you begin to see, you know what, this this knowledge is an experiential thing. The word used there for knowledge was the, the same word for Adam knowing his wife. So it's obviously an experiential knowledge that he points to. And as we get to know God, we start to realize that only he satisfies. This is what then compels self-control. You resist temptation because you don't want anything to jeopardize the intimacy and relationship with God. If you're just compelled or motivated by guilt, resistance is kind of futile. But when it's coming out of a, a genuine knowledge or experience with God, all of a sudden you're like, I don't want anything to jeopardize what I have with God. So it compels self-control to resist temptation. And then steadfastness is the idea of self-control repeated. Self-control repeated. I have a new friend in the church that shared about uh, overcoming an addiction. And I forget how many years in, but it's fun with him to celebrate how many years he's on the other side of that. And you start to realize what that is. It's self-control that's just going over and over and over again. It's lots and lots of saying no to something. It's lots and lots of saying no to something. And all of a sudden, what's on the other side of that? When we resist, when we overcome and we have victory in different areas, that outcome, what do you see there in the text? What's the outcome of this steadfastness then leads to godliness? When we're actually putting up a fight, then all of a sudden, there's nothing obstructing that relationship with God. And before you know it, you're like, man, I'm becoming more and more like him. One of the ways, watch how this keeps on flowing. One of the ways that you know you're becoming more like him is you start to have a brotherly affection or or care for those around you. Genuine concern for the people around you because you're like, I see them through the same lens that Jesus Christ does. And again, how does it snowball? What does it say that that leads to? With then, ultimately, with love. For people, this is the pinnacle of life in Christ. When all of a sudden, your love is demonstrated what way? Through sacrifice. All of a sudden, you're elevating other people above yourself. That's how this procession works, is moving, starting with virtue, 
and ending with the ultimate demonstration of Jesus Christ in our life, love for others. We're expected to supplement your faith. If 10, 20 years have passed and you're still the same person, that's a problem. God expects that you're changing, you're pursuing change, and that's only possible with the divine human partnership. We'll end with these last verses, verses 8 through 11. It says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, the qualities we just talked about, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, because of this, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these, these qualities, catch that word practice, these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We see there, he refers back to the section we just talked about. He says, these qualities should be, what does it say? Increasing to protect us from something. What is, what is the terrible thing that we're being protected from? What do you see there in the text? We're being protected from being ineffective and unfruitful. A lot of times when we think about protection, that's the farthest thing from our mind. But when you see things through God's lens, that's the worst possibility. Peter's pointing that out. That would be the worst thing to, to have no effect on anyone around you to have no impact, to show no fruit of transformation in your life, that would be a tragedy. In fact, he uses the example uh, that a lot of us would be familiar with. I don't know how many people in our audience uh, wear glasses or contacts. I started wearing contacts when I was like 13 or 14 years old, been wearing them ever since. My wife actually just recently had to start wearing uh, reading glasses. Check those suckers out. They're, uh, she looks great in red. And uh, listening to her talk, she said, you know what, this is probably, these glasses are probably the worst thing that's happened to me in recent uh, history. And so uh, she's adjusting to her, so obviously she's not hitting too many trials. Uh, but, uh, but honestly, it's been an interesting thing. And both of us, uh, honestly, if we took out our contacts or glasses, we don't have that bad a sight. But some people, man, you take off their glasses and they can't even see their hand out in front of them. That's the picture that he's painting here. He's saying, if you're not chasing all after these qualities, if you're not intentionally pursuing Christ-likeness, you know what? You're like a blind person. You're completely blinded to this idea that, that you've been set free. You've been released from the prison of sin in your life. Don't forget that we're to be done with sin and pursuing it, effectiveness and fruitfulness. Take a look at what it says that results in these changes, this pursuit confirms our calling and election. That's an interesting statement to make. It confirms our calling and election. In other words, it's evidence that we're a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's evidence that we're a disciple of Jesus Christ. John 15, 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You see, fruit is a demonstration that something is happening inside. See, an apple tree is still an apple tree, 
regardless of whether or not it has apples. That's the truth of the matter. You might be saved. You might be rescued as far as salvation. But the, the fruit is the demonstration that, whoa, it really is an apple tree. It wasn't the apple that made it an apple tree, but it demonstrates that there's something going on inside. He points that out. Apples don't make a tree an apple tree, but they demonstrate that it is one. So my hope is for us, as we're wanting to increase in our fruitfulness, as that we won't avoid the mirror, that we won't look past it, that we won't walk by it, ignore it, but we'll actually take this time of house arrest and actually look deeply into it so that God can change us from the inside out. That's his desire. Let me pray as we close. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this picture that's painted from a man waiting on death row, somebody that understood a little bit about priorities. At the end of everything, he's realized the one pursuit that makes any sense, otherwise you're blinded, the one pursuit that makes any sense is fruitfulness. And that fruit is a demonstration of becoming more and more like you. It's effectiveness, having an impact on lives around us. God, we ask that you would do that work in us. We ask that you would allow this time to expose some of the, the ugliness that's maybe snuck into our character and that we take some intentional steps in the weeks to come to pursue intimacy with you and ultimately change that comes from that. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your patience. We love you so much. In Jesus' name. Amen. Grace and peace to you.
in that in the weeks to come. Anyway, we can serve you as usual. Feel free to reach out. Otherwise, God bless you. Have an amazing week.